There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Blizzard Watch podcast. This is a podcast about Blizzard Entertainment and its many games. I don't know why I'm talking like this. I am Matt. I am the host of this show. With me is Joe, who is also the host of the show. We both host this show. It's and true. we both host another show. There's much hosting going on. Anyway, come on in. Let's talk about stuff. Does that yeah. make us the new two-headed ogre at this point, though? Uh, yeah, everybody merged into a two-headed ogre with me eventually. Yeah, okay. I'm good with that. <laughs> Unfortunate for all of you. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> now that I've my, got that image in my head. It was my turn to derail Matt. He does this to me every week on Lore Watch. It was my turn. <laughs> yeah, I, I am I am he who has sidetracks. Anyway, though, we're going to talk about Patch 9.1 because it's been out for about a week. And today, today is the opening of the Sanctum of Domination raid. And quite frankly, as we're recording this, Sylvana still isn't dead. Yeah, I'm surprised by that, actually. Yeah, I, I thought she'd be dead by now. I straight up thought that somebody would have zerged her down, and so we'd have the cinematic. But if it's happened, no one has talked about it. So, but by the time you hear this, if you're listening to it recorded, she might be already be dead. And although I think, found it's, out. I think it's funny, though, because part of that, though, uh, just for you folks at home, you should listen to this past week's Lore Watch. Uh, because it was all about uh, Nax Ramos, and uh, it's it's pretty pretty important for what you're about to go experience if you're doing any sort of raiding. Just throwing yeah. it out there. Uh, but regardless, as as of this recording, hasn't happened yet. So we're going to talk a little bit about it. Um, I think it's interesting that we can talk about it without spoiling it because we it hasn't happened yet. Although and according we, so to we don't know. according to chat, uh, they are currently on her uh, on Solanus right now. Somebody's already pulling her. So yeah, she might be dead by the time we we finish the discussion. But the great thing and about literally the, the cinematic just went up as we're recording this. Not watching it yet. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we, we're going to talk about it without having seen the, the cinematic. Um, basically, one of one of several things might have happened. We don't know which as of recording this. Obviously, we just found out that it's now out. So yeah, 
Um, but it's really an interesting thing to, to get to. We're kind of at the love it or hate it. We're at the tail end of several years of World of Warcraft storytelling. Something that they had not done ever. They'd never done anything like this where, where a major story thread carried on this long. Because Sylvanas' arc really started in Cataclysm. Yeah, like, as far as her taking center stage and becoming something that was incredibly pivotal to the story being told, yeah, like, that really was when she took, like, that, that particular moment. Which is interesting considering what it followed, which was probably her lowest point. Yeah, well, I mean, it was interesting because Sylvanas' story was rooted in, you know, the antagonism against the Lich King and the Scourge. And the the Forsaken, too, for that matter. And we went through, up to Wrath of the Lich King, and you, you got to go, if you are playing Horde in particular, you got to go through the uh, Halls of Reflection and eventually fight your way to the Lich King himself with, alongside Sylvanas, who then finds out, oh, I can't kill him. Like, I can't even fight him. And had to run away. Which did not... This is not the kind of thing Sylvanas likes to do. And it, it really... From his death, the, his death changed her. And that's where we get the Edge of Night story moving into Cataclysm. And then, so from that moment until now, is a continuum. From the Edge of Night story, through her role in Cataclysm, where Garrosh uses her to try and destroy Gilneas, and she kills uh, Liam Greymane in front of his father, and triggers that whole thing. Her story has been developing ever since. From that moment, I mean, she doesn't do much in Warlords, obviously, but she comes back with a vengeance in Legion, and you get to see her as the war chief. You get to see what she's doing up in the Storm Peaks. You get to see the confrontation with Gen Greymane that solidifies whatever her plans are. Um, you get to see everything she does in Battle for Azeroth, the step-by-step, you know, planning she's she's engaging in her end game to basically kill everybody in the world. And finally, here we are in, in Shadowlands at the end. Mm-hmm. Like this is finally, even if the character survives this raid and continues on, it's the end of that storyline. We'll, we'll, we'll be moving into something else. Well, yeah, we're, we're, we're moving into sort of like a recovery period after that almost. Right. And it's been a long run. Like you're pointing out, it's been a very, it's been an emotional roller coaster. Whether you love the character or hate the character, from from that first moment to now, uh, and everybody out there, like I'm just going to say this, regardless of what your stance is, you are absolutely right to feel whatever way you feel about it. Uh, and those of you that have seen the cinematic at this point, I understand that there's going to be a lot of uh, emotion boiling around it, whether you you loved it, hated, or got nothing what you wanted. But the the weight of that moment, like, we still have more to go to. Like, this is just the second raid of this expansion. This is the point one patch, guys. Yeah. Even if this one's as short as as Warlords, there's a point two patch coming. There will be at least one more raid. I expect there to be two more. I also expect there to be two more and probably some an- ancillary uh, uh, content I would after not be, that. Yeah, I would not be surprised if Point two is the sidetrack raid. 
I probably We're, they're already setting it up with the uh, with the broker stuff. Yeah, I, I just generally speaking, if you go look at other expansions, unless they are short like Warlords, it tends to be the raid that is not. It's kind of sidereal to like what's been going on. BFA sort of had that. It it didn't really have it, but it kind of did, in that it had the you know the the I want to say Bastion of Storms, but I can't remember that's the name of it. The the side raid over in uh, the bloody heck now I can't remember the name of that zone. Oh, I know you're talking about the 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 one with the the two bosses. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They had the Zara lore, and then they had that, and then we came to the Ashara raid, and then after the Ashara raid. We went into uh, Nihilotha. so there was there was a side raid. It just wasn't its own patch. I feel like there will be something side sidereal content of some sort. Um, but then again, if you go look at Cataclysm, all the raids were related to the main story, but they were also somewhat departures. Like Firelands wasn't Deathwing; it was Ragnaros, but it was related to the whole overall story of Cataclysm in that the reason Ragnaros was attacking was Deathwing. I, I feel like we'll get something along those lines, but I don't... You know, this is all the future projection. I just know that we're at a place right now that feels like... It feels like the, the end of Act 1 of a three-act play. Yeah, and, and, and that's really the best way to put it. Like, it's it's got that sort of momentum, right? And it's got that point where a, a lot of times back in, in almost like... I want to say... 50s, 60s, 70s, when like traveling musicals were, were like really like in theater were being a thing, they had what they called like the false climax, right? It was this point of the, the play or the opera or whatever was was being uh, done at that time that you would experience that like, oh, you think you're getting your resolution, but it wasn't the climax. It wasn't the resolution. If anything, it was like you said, it's just the end of the first act and there were still two more acts to follow. Um this is definitely feels like that. It it has that sort of false finish feel to it, which isn't a bad thing. And it sounds it sounds bad, but it's not meant to be. It just means that there's more story to tell and that we might not be getting exactly what we expected to. And that's not always a bad thing. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but at any rate, Without having seen it to talk about it and not wanting to talk about it anyway because we don't want to spoil anything, I will say that so far I, I, I've got positive feelings about Patch 9.1. I do too. Uh, I think that Corthia is a good a step in the right direction in terms of content. Will it get old if we're in there for nine months? Sure. Yes, absolutely it will. But for right now, it's pretty well done. I've only barely scratched it. I've just picked around it because I'm actually trying to decide which of my characters to move into for the next uh, phase of the game. I kind of want to switch to my, my uh, Kyrian for a little bit and play them. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking around and figuring out how I can get that done. But I have gone in enough to say that, yeah, I think that the Torghast changes were positive. Um, I mean, at the same time, I, I am struggling in Torghast, like getting to rank, you know, getting up to like the next levels to getting up to 9, 10, 11, and 12. Not going to be easy for me. Uh, but... I don't. I don't know that I need it to be easy. Uh, I can progress at a at a slower pace, and that's fine. Because I don't worry that you know. Oh God, I've died four times. This thing's basically over now. I can't afford to die at all because if I do, then I won't get anywhere. That's gone, and that makes me happy. 
Yeah, um, I'm definitely on that any, boat as well. Anything standing out for you? Honestly, like I, I, I don't mean to like go back to Corthia, but like I, I'm not gonna lie, the mall wasn't what I expected it to be, and I didn't really care for it prior to this patch. But now that 9.1's hit, I'm kind of digging Corthia. It's it's I'm, I'm calling it Mall 2.0, but Mall 2.0 is way better than Mall 1.0 for me. Um, I actually just like what's in the game. I like the idea that we're, you know, digging through stuff, uncovering story and lore. And maybe that's really what the draw was for me. Um, because one of the greatest things about Shadowlands is I know absolutely nothing about the Shadowlands. We talk about it a lot, but every time you're, every time you think you think, you know, what's going on there, they throw a curveball, And ultimately we talked about this multiple times, it's a new place that has never existed prior, really, truly, to this content really being available to us. So everything we're learning is new. Everything is fresh. Everything has that sort of uh, nascent potential. It feels a lot to me like running through vanilla WoW back in the day and starting to like try to piece things together that maybe are new or are extrapolations of existing lore. Uh, and I kind of like that, and it kind of makes me feel a little bit more invigorated. So I'm I'm just here for for nine point one. There, it's not perfect. There are things that you know I'm not gonna like, and that's fine. But for the most part, pretty happy with with what's come out and what they've changed. And the tour guest stuff, like you said, I like the idea that I could kind of go in there and just putz around now and not have to worry about. Well, I died five times. Guess I'm just done. A wasted an hour. So Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the things I really didn't like about Torghast. I still feel like Torghast should give you actual loot, and I think I'm always going to feel that way. I don't think there's anything they can do to make me not feel that way. They can add a borrowed power system to Torghast where you'll get stronger as you do more stuff. Uh, but at the end of the day, if there's no loot in it, I'm just going to feel like, okay, this is always something I have to basically remind myself. I'm doing this to do something else. But I'm not going to be able to pursue like other goals while I'm doing it, and that means that I'm going to have to always weigh it against an activity that can get me gear, and that's always going to be there in Torghast. So that's always going to be a problem for me. But it's not a deal breaker. It doesn't kill Torghast for me. It just it is something to keep in mind. Um, and there's lots of stuff that I just simply have not gotten to experience. Like I'm not doing mythics at the moment because I don't have a group that does mythics, and I'm not on at times when there's a lot of people around. I tend to play late at night, like 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, it just tends to be my, my game time. So, haven't seen those yet. Don't really have an opinion. I don't know if I'll get into Sanctum of Domination tonight. My, my guild is raiding, but I'm kind of semi-retired from raiding with them at the moment. Not because there's anything bad. They'd take me if I showed up, but it's just showing up for every raid night at the scheduled time is not really something I can predictably do right now. Uh, for for various reasons. I mean, I'm looking forward to getting into the raid tomorrow uh, with my guild. Honestly, yeah, uh, also it because looks I get like to raid. I get to watch Liz fail, which is always fun. I know you're in the chat, Liz. Love you. <laughs> yeah, well, when you're the one killing her half the time. Um, but anyway, there, there's a lot to 9.1. I I feel like we could talk about it for a while, but at the same time. I feel like we should probably move on to do some emails and talk about other stuff. But I, think I mean, so too. Okay, if you've got an email or question for the show, there's multiple ways you can get it to us. One is the email address, uh, podcast at blizzardwatch.com. 
with the subject line podcast of Blizzard Watch, so we know it's for this show. Um, we got a couple Lore Watch questions in there, by the way, Joe. So you I know. Look. That's um, all. But yeah, if you, you can do it that way, or you can go to our Patron Q and Podcast Questions channel if you're a patron, and we look there first for questions for this podcast and the other podcast. Or you can go to our Q Questions channel, also on our Discord, and you can ask questions there too, and that we look, we go there as well. Um, so yeah, there's there's multiple ways to get stuff to us. You can also tweet stuff if you want to tweet at me or Joe. You have to tell us it's for our podcast. Yeah, because like, like, we respond a lot of times, like, or at least I do. I don't know about Matt, but like I respond to people. So yeah, I respond if I feel like it. I'll just be upfront. I get some comments and some stuff that I don't want to talk about, so I just don't. But if I, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I can talk about this. Um, and also, don't feel bad if we don't if we don't pick one of your questions if you do give it to us. It's not that we don't like want to talk about them. It's just sometimes they don't fit in that particular that particular show or instance. A lot of times we try to to shape things to have a certain cadence or flow. Well, so. for that matter, just sometimes I'm like, okay, I can't actually give this a good answer yet. Yeah, and, and it needs time. I don't, to... Yeah, I don't want to short shrift it. Like that's a big thing for me is I really don't like when someone asks me a question that's important to them and I kind of have to blow it off because I have no idea. Um, that's not cool. I want to be able to go do some research and see if I can figure it out. But yeah, anyway, Joe's going to read some emails for us now, if you don't mind, Joe. I do not mind at all. Our first question comes from our good friend Riptides. We've talked about how us, as adventurers, often are the ones causing problems or playing into the villain's hands. What if we had an expansion where our character was the big bad? To a lot of people in Azeroth, bad things didn't start happening until we got involved. What if they rose against us and we either spent the expat leaning into that role or trying to win hearts and minds to convince them why we had to do the things we did? Do you want to go first on that one? I mean, if not, I will. Because I want to finish this piece of chocolate that I'm trying to eat really <laughs> fast, so you go. Uh, honestly, it's an interesting concept, but I don't know how well something like that would really legitimately play out in-game mechanically. And that's always sort of the problem, right? Like, a high concept is you can have a former quote-unquote champion or maw walker or whatever title we are sort of filling the role for in whatever expansion previous or whatever become a bad guy you can do that but then it becomes canonically like this shaman became a bad guy or this warrior became a bad guy or whatever it's generally not going to be you as the player sort of filling that role right and now, story-wise, you could have something where we are trying to make amends with the individuals, and that I could see working, where, you know, maybe we're explaining to the Stormwind why we, you know, had a battle in their, their fields, or, you know, why we had to take the fight here and there, and why half a Stormwind burned at the beginning of Battle for Azeroth, and all this other stuff, right? Like, that could work, and that could be something where we're earning favor and trust again with the people of our respective factions, I could see that. I just don't know how you would reconcile some, like us becoming the big bad or the villain. But I could see us paying a price for some of the very short-sighted heroics we pull. Because as Matt and I pointed out multiple times, and especially on this past week's Lore Watch, we do that a lot. And we've been doing it for a lot of years. And a lot of the bad stuff that does happen, like you pointed out, is kind of our fault. Uh, so yeah. What about you, Matt? What do you think? Depends on like what do you want this to be? 
do you want to focus more on the idea of trying to repair a damaged reputation with the people of Azeroth, or do you want to, f- you know, focus more on the concept of all hands are against you, and you're doing what you're doing? Like, what kind of big bad do you want the, the player to be? What what is the experience you're going for? I can think of, of like several different ways to approach this. One would be to do a like through a broken mirror thing where we come back say we come back from the Shadowlands it doesn't have to be the next expansion but I'm just using this as an example for, for rhetorical purposes we come back from the Shadowlands and Azeroth is all sorts of messed up like the instead of Anduin on the throne in Stormwind there's a cackling like Lord Blackmore uh, the Horde is is ruled by you know Randon main Blackhand everything is messed up and you have to try and figure out how to get your world to work or make sense. You know, that's one thing you could do. And you're, you're still the heroes from your perspective. But from the perspective of the people of this world that you're suddenly thrust into, they're the, the proper authorities and you're the menaces trying to overthrow their rule. You know, the old concept of, you know, everyone's a hero of their own story. Adelis Blackmore doesn't want you to stop him. Um, you know, the Rendon Main Blackhand absolutely don't want to not be the War Chiefs of the Horde. So that's one approach you could take to it, and you, that way you get to have your characters as a villain. The other is, is you're, you're actually sent to infiltrate a villainous organization. Like, imagine if your character has to spend the entire expansion joining this new threat... And working your way up, and you means you have to go and do things like for that group, and you can't break character, you can't break your just your your role. You have to, I have to actually burn this this Stormwind Armory. I have to actually lay lay siege to, to the Valley of Heroes in Orgrimmar. I have to do these things, and so the people of Azeroth see you as a villain, and you're starting to think maybe I am a villain. Because everything I'm doing is so horrible. Yes, it's supposedly for the the greater good, but I'm not really feeling it. That's another way you could do it. There's lots of ways that you could do it without having it be like uh, simple as you know. Okay, now I'm going to destroy it. Uh, you know, because quite frankly, that's happened a few times in game lore. Mm-hmm. Where previously heroic people like, okay, now I'm going to destroy everything. Is, is it my turn to go cuckoo for cocoa puffs? Is that what we're doing? Okay, but for that matter. That might be fun, too. Like, it straight up might be a fun... One of my favorite MMOs was City of Villains. Oh, God, City of Villains was amazing. And that's because, unlike WoW, where both factions are constantly trying to be the good guys, and, and it's all shades of gray, and it's all a matter of perspective, City of Villains, you were straight up the bad guy. Yep. And that was fun. You lived in a world where there was a there was a stasis between good and evil, where... Heroes would always ultimately triumph, but you'd come back and you'd get another shot. And I, I feel like you could do a fun expansion where you've just, your characters have decided enough's enough, and you just declare war against the Alliance and the Horde, and you you go for broke. You know, you maybe you start coll- collecting all the like what was that idea the Mongrel Horde? The Mongrel Horde, yeah. You start collecting all the, the various people on Azeroth who've been like stepped on by the Alliance and its allies, or the Horde and its allies, and you forge them into a weapon, and that could be fun. I don't. It doesn't really work for World of Warcraft, 
Like it, it is hard to imagine how that story resolves itself and you go back to working for whatever faction you were in before. But I could see it being a cool expansion idea. Maybe like, you know, at the end of it, nobody knows you did it or something. I don't know. Or it turns out that, you know, as you're going through, you discover like the true secret of what's going on and you fight the actual bad guy at the end. But I don't know. But there are ways to do it and you could do fun things with it. I don't think you want it to be as simple as you you are now the guy who burns the boats and, and lies to his allies and, hey, that rune blade's looking mighty tantalizing. I should pick that up. Because, A, that's been done. And, B, we've had that story. We had that story with Arthas. We had that story with Kael'thas. We've kind of had that story with Sylvanas now. I don't know if I want to play an expansion where I just do the same dumb things they do. You know what I mean? Like, but I do feel like there are ways you could get this, this kind of sensation of the world is against you. You could get that. And yeah. you could do it in various ways where it would necessarily mean that you, at the end of that expansion, you're just like, well, that was a big whoopsie doodle, huh? <laughs> Let's all just pretend that didn't happen. You could do it in a ways, like like I said, the one that comes to mind is the, the either the, you know, infiltrating and having to basically Sons of Anarchy your way through it, or the one where you just, uh, what happened to the world and how do I get back to the one I remember? Like, am I in an alternate timeline or did this timeline get changed? Like, is this a Warless of Draenor or is this a Caverns of Time? Like, how do I, what do I even do? Like, why is the, why are things the way they are? And it could be really fun if you were in a world that seemed better. Like, imagine if you ended up on an Azeroth where, like, Arthas was king of Lordaeron, Varian's king of a Stormwind that never burned, Everybody seems happy, but there's no... The, the Tauren are practically almost wiped out. The orcs never came to help them. And, and like, you know the Legion's going to show up, and there's none of the... Half of the forces that fought them are gone. There's no... The Night Elves are still over in their thing. Nobody's been to Pandaria. The world is... It looks nicer, but it's more fragile. And then you have to decide, okay, is it worth being the one to destroy this fragile piece on these people that they think that they, you know they think their lives are idyllic and they don't know what's coming do i have the right to take that from them they're not going to thank me for it but it might be the only way this version of azeroth survives and that so like there's various ways you could do it i do think it would be fun and interesting yeah and i mean and they've already laid the groundwork for some of that stuff too and we we could talk about that, I mean, we have talked about it in the past, but like there are, there's, there's been different threads that they could pull on that would make a lot of that stuff feasible or make sense or kind of like have enough weight or enough legs to sort of carry a story like that. Um, whether like look what's going on with the night elves and their relation to the, the rest of like the alliance. Uh, the horde is trying something that it's never done before with this whole council situation. There's plenty of of opportunity for there to be dissension or uh, breaking off or people that are not down with what's what those choices are. Um, and so, I mean, you could do something that explores maybe a fracturing of the world or like you said, maybe it's something completely different. Maybe it's a, a an alternate universe. There's options, but we'll see what I, happens. I also yeah, I really do like the idea of possibly doing a story where you're infiltrating something. And then you have to decide, okay, how far am I willing to go to keep up the act? How, how, what am I willing to do? But if it turns out there's a, there's a group in the Night Elves that it wants to overthrow Taronda, 
and uh, or even they like the Taronda who's obsessed with vengeance and they want to push her more in that direction. And you're sent to infiltrate, but after a while you're like, I'm, I'm starting to... And you could do it much of the way they had the Sylvanas loyalists and the people who were like, no, this is crazy. You could totally have people who are like, you know, th- these, these people make sense. Uh, I agree with them. And you could choose to go along that path. There, there's, there's ways to do it, and I think it could be cool. I don't know how it would be approached. This is the one thing. I, there's ways that we you really have to think about how to approach it. Yeah, and like we can sit here and talk about story all day long, but at the end of the day, too, it also boils down to what can they implement systems to make it in such a manner that it functions and works. We've seen other games in the past that have tried to do similar breakaways that weren't set up to do so and failed miserably because of it, because it just couldn't, it couldn't do what they wanted it to do. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens with that one. I think we can move on to the next one from our friend 6k though, if you're ready. Yep. Okay, well, 6K, uh, I think you got this one in early and you called uh, You called it because it was from today. But, man, wasn't that thing that happened in the Raid Cinematic something? I thought they were going to do something else, but they did that. How do you think that's going to affect things that could be affected by something like that? Spoiler question about the cinematic. Why is Toronto attacking Sylvanas? I don't understand why she would still be angry. I mean, we I killed those oh, two um, Valkyrie. It's my bad. It's my bad. There are, like, three <laughs> questions. All right, well, go ahead. Well, let's do the first one, and then you can read the second and third ones. Uh, I honestly, obviously, we don't know what happened. So, but I mean, the, it, it is going to affect things that are affected by that. It was we knew going into this that it's going to be like a big deal. Yeah, I, I, mean, I feel like everybody knew that. Everybody, everybody knew, knew the weight of what was coming. Yeah. Uh, so, and I, I think to to go into your second thing, uh, I mean, one of the reasons that the Toronto cinematic went the way it did was because. It couldn't resolve everything because, you know, Sylvanas was going to be in the raid. So Joe yeah, I mean, has a theory about that one. Do you want I, me to go into it? Yes, but only because we're doing all those raid lore watches. So there's not really a good time that we should we should talk about it. Yeah. So talk about your theory. So I went on I went on a tweet rampage. I wouldn't even say rampage, but I shared my theory yesterday because I knew that the new cinematic was coming out today. Over the last several weeks, we've been getting a lot of questions, whether it's in chat, direct messages, um, about why Aloon spared Sylvanas. And I've been sitting on this for that entire time, for, for over a week. The, the thing is, I think everybody's been asking the wrong question, and I don't think it has anything to do with Aloon sparing Sylvanas. At the end of the day, like, Aloon, sure... Was gave her gave power to Tehran to go take care of business, but we haven't figured out how to save Tehran yet. Everything that you do when you talk about the Night Warrior, when you talk about everything that happened with giving the power to like Theranax and Theranax's husband, is it, it's been pretty much laid out in game. Once their task was done, once the goal was accomplished that they had asked for the power to do, the death of that old god. That was it. They were spent. That was the the end of their time. And as a result, with that power receding, with it no longer being there, with that bargain being fulfilled, because that's what it is. It's a bargain being fulfilled. They died. If Tyrande had killed Sylvanas in that moment, Tyrande would die. You see it in the cinematic when the power is pulled back, when Elune pulls that power back. 
Tarant is left laying in the fetal position in that field with Ysera, like, mothering over her. And it's not that Alun forsake or forsook her in that moment. It's Alun didn't want her to die. Alun took enough of her power away so that she would have to stop knowing that Ysera was on her way, knowing that Sylvanas wasn't going to kill Tyrande at that moment because there was enough in play, enough in motion to keep that from happening. And it was to buy us time. It's not, it wasn't to save or spare Sylvanas. It was to buy us time to figure out how to save Tyrande. Because here's the thing. If Tyrande dies, everything for the Night Elves goes sideways right now. It's already going sideways with, with everything that happened with Tildrassel, um, with Darnassus burning, with everything happening there. What do you think happens with the next three likely people to lead the Night Elves if Tehran dies? And that it, Malfurion, he's useless. I'm going to be honest with you. Whether you love or hate him, he is not a good leader. He is a druid. He is not a Night Elf leader. Her daughters, Chandris and Maeve at this point, what would happen to them? Maeve is just now starting to get into a... Uh, stable mental position after years of being crazed and and sort of like single-minded into her fury. She's starting to actually understand like what it is to ba- be, have balance and be a leader. And now you have Shanders, who is all throughout this expansion and last expansion, she has felt her mother's rage. She has felt the rage of her people. And she's trying her best to hold it together. Look how she was in the Ardenweld stuff where like Tyrande is just falling up, like is uh, seemingly lost to her at first. When we see her in Torghast, when we're, you're doing that sort of quest line experience, she's in pieces. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know what she would do. If anything happened to Tyrande in this moment, if Tyrande dies, the night elves fracture, they fracture more than they ever have before. Alun didn't abandon Tyrande. She saved Tron to buy us time to fix the problem that nobody else has been able to fix so far. That's my theory. And I think that's why I, I think, and I understand people feel a certain way about that. And, and, and again, there's some new light with the cinematic that just released today. But I think that's the part that people forget is that when everything is said and done, when Tron's bargain is completed, which he said, give me the power to seek vengeance for my people. She's done. She's gone. She's off the board unless we figure out how to stop it. And that was the entirety opening of Act One in Shadowlands. So, yeah, that's my theory. That's what I've been talking about. And like I said, I just think people have been asking the wrong question. I think it's not how does Elune get vengeance? It's how does Elune give us time to save Tyrande? And that's what she did. So, that's what I got. <laughs> Okay, I wanted you to get to talk about it. However, uh, quickly have to log back into the game because <laughs> it did that thing where it disconnected me. So, well, I'll let you get back in. But yeah, so that's what I tweeted about, and that's what I've been going on about. And uh, I'm curious to see if that has anything to do with what's happening now, because again, Alun is still an order of magnitude higher than I think we can possibly fathom. Like, I've had a couple of people ask me if she's, like, Zoval's wife, and or if she's another Titan, or if she was the first Titan soul, or, or whatever the case is. No idea. Don't really know. But uh, I can tell you that she is 
an order of magnitude different than anything we've possibly experienced. We barely understand Titans at this point. I don't think we understand a loon. I don't think we have any real good idea. I'm, I'm, that's fair, I believe. Yeah. But anyway, uh, go on to the next one then. Uh, let's see here. Do, 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 He's do. got two more questions. He's got more about Toronto right there. Yeah. So it says, why is Toronto attacking Sylvanas? I mean, well, yeah, that there's, that's why. Um, I don't understand why she would still be angry. I mean, we killed those two Valkyrie on Darkshore. I thought that would be payment enough for Tildrassel. What could she possibly be still still be upset about? I mean, we kind of know what she's still upset about. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, in fact, the the two the two uh, Valkyrie were not enough. Um, and technically, they're not dead. Well, they're dead, but I mean, they're in the Shadowlands now, so you know that's that's what happens when things die. So. Yeah. Although I think it's interesting that we we hear we we still don't actually know what Nathanus's fate was. No. You know, we know that he died, but he certainly didn't show up at Sylvanas's side. So, yeah, there's that. Uh, in terms of, I don't think that vengeance. There's there's always been that thing, in, and very much so in Warcraft, the idea that you know seeking vengeance ultimately is more about you than the person you want vengeance on. Like, it affects you and changes you. If you look at Maiev, her mm-hmm. whole thing about trying to get revenge over 10,000 years warped her almost completely. Yes. She's, still, she's only barely recovered from it now. Um, only after the Legion invasion did she regain any kind of equilibrium. And they still haven't done much with that story, quite frankly. I think there should have been some, if nothing else, a short story about how Maiev and... Uh, basically came to some kind of understanding with the rest of the night elves about that whole whoopsie I tried to murder people thing um, but yeah I, I don't think it, it I think it's pretty pretty self-explanatory what what Taronda is mad about she's still mad about Teldrassel. Uh no she didn't think killing those two Valkyr was anything like payment it was simply the best she could do at the moment uh, it wasn't like Taronda was even I mean Sylvanas wasn't even there you know, Nathanos was there. Sylvanas wasn't there. So if she'd killed Nathanos then, instead of when she did kill him, it wouldn't really have made much of a difference. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I have anything else to say on that one. Yeah, I, I don't think there's really much else to say about it. But I mean, thank you, Six. You, uh, you send in some delightfully wasn't, absurd things. Wasn't there one more thing? No, no that was it. Okay. Yep. So we can move on to uh, our next one, which is from uh, Moxla Blastrig. Uh, hello, watchers of lore. Well, we're, we're using it for this one, folks. Uh, all this talk of raids and their backstory has me thinking, what would a great raid with Torn themes and story elements look like? That's a really good question. Like, what would signify a good Torn raid? Because we kind of already have, like, Kinda with if you want to talk like Mordon with uh, the centaurs and stuff like that and everything surrounding that. Here's what I've been thinking. If you want to hear my my crazy wish yes, list, yes, please, idea. I do. Um, we know that the before the Yongal, there were there was a people that were like the ancestors of all the you know the Toran type races, and those people were captured by the Mogu and subject to experimentation to make them a larger and angrier and more fierce. Uh, I'm assuming that means there's some kind of race of Shetland. Like, you, you know how they have, like, the, the Highland cattle that are, like, small and cute and real fuzzy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
there's some race of effectively Tauran gnomes. There's this smaller race of 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 ancestral yak people who are all furry and cute, um, living in some place that's probably an island that used to be somewhat connected to Pandaria, but is now off on its own. And there's this tight there's this Titan vault that the the Mogu used to change and shape them in there, and they're in there. And you have to find it and reclaim it because it's related to the myth. Do you remember the myth the Torn have about how the Torn people at one point, like the sudden blackness out of the world came forth and corrupted them mm-hmm. and they waged war against each other? I think that that myth is about the Yongal and about yeah. the Yongal became, because the Mogu did what they did to them, they became fearsome and, and militaristic. And the Earth Mother reached out to them and soothed them and the ones that they that it you know saved moved on and and migrated away but that vault is the place where it happened to them where they were turned into the ongol in the first place and one of the things i've wanted to do like i wanted to see since the beginning is what is the earth mother is the earth mother azeroth is it the titan inside the world has that titan been speaking to the tauren this whole time like Magni is currently the speaker, but what if they've been? It's meanwhile she's been talking to the Torin this whole time, and the Torin have interpreted her words as myths and legends. And so the the, the story of Aparo and and uh, Musha is just one of many stories that the Titan has been telling them about its creation and its existence. And I just I would love to see something like that where you go into this ancient vault. And you discover the like you know the original primordial uh, ancestors to all the various uh, Tauran races, and you you get a sense of like how they went on their diaspora and why they went on it. Mm-hmm. Like because we don't really know, we don't know why like the Tauran and the and the Tonka left. Yeah, we don't know we why they became they nomads. Yeah, that both groups were like you know what we don't want to stay here. If you want to stay here and fight, uh, you know the Pan- the Pandaren for like what the Mogu left behind, go ahead, but we don't want to do that. It's really interesting that the, the Tonka, I mean, the Yongal, as they exist, were basically created as a bulwark mm-hmm. against the Mantid. They like, they literally, the Mogu were like, we don't want to fight them all the time. So we're going to put you up here in the steps and you're going to, you're going to blunt their assault. You're going to be the first ones to, to have to fight them. And the Yongal developed their incredibly aggressive fire culture. And it's interesting to think of each of the of the Tauran races in their approach to shamanism as another aspect of this, where the Yongal one is completely about dominating the one element they see as valuable. They only see fire as valuable. They don't care about earth or water or air. They don't care about the spirits. They care about burning their enemies. Uh, the Tonka will take any help they can get, but they're just as aggressive towards the spirits as the Yongal are. Only the Shuhalo have this idea of living in peace and harmony with them. How did that happen? How did that split happen? Is it because of something that happened to them on their migration, or did it happen at the place where they were created? Could do a lot of cool things with that. I'd love to see something that dealt with that idea. Yeah, and I, and I think that's kind of like what my wish list would be really for that as well, is, is kind of understanding more about their culture prior to like what we actually know. And it, it's we know a lot more about a lot of the previous or a lot of the other races, a lot of the other um, creations 
of, of the Titans that live on the planet. Like, but what would what would be cool to learn about is is like like you said the origin of the the torn and imagine how they would react to that too. Like, how many generations has it been since they've they were wandering? How many generations has it been since they've lost uh, any of that stuff? And I believe they were. I think they still are because it's been a while since I've I've done like torn specific stuff, but like it's a very oral tradition sort of like set up for like keeping track of their their history. They tell stories and they yeah, keep it alive few, that way, right? There's a few scrolls like if you go to the Thunder Bluff, you can find a few scrolls that are like inscribed with the stories, but the stories were preserved orally. Like the story of how the Torn have a story about how scenarios came to be. That is basically, you know, um, you know, his father, uh, Malorn, was was basically trying to escape Torn hunters, and they chased him practically into the sky. And it was the moon that saved him. Their nets were going to drag him down, but a loon saved him and fell in love with him. And the two of them had scenarios. That's how scenarios came to be. What does that actually mean? Like, who the heck knows? It's 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 a crazy myth. Uh, is it is it just to center the Torrens' role in the natural world as hunters? Is it to actually give you some information about the origins of Scenarius and the, the Emerald Dream? Couldn't tell you, but it's interesting. It's one of many such myths that they have that don't necessarily fit with, like, you know, other myths that other people have. Uh, but I like th- I'd is- like to see them. I'd like to see them sort of, like, maybe stumble upon, like, a repository of information. We know... That like things exist, like discs that have like recorded uh, recorded data, right? Hard data. Mm-hmm. We've had whole expansions. The Dissonant Organ and so forth. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. What if there's something like that exists for them? What if there's a record of their actual heritage and, and a lot of these things? How would they react? And in you think about how far they are now from maybe removed from like a centralized society, um, where they they had like before Thunderbluff. There wasn't, to them in their recent memory, there wasn't another city. But what if there was? What if they got to discover the pieces of their past that were lost? Because that's the other problem with oral tradition, right? Like, you lose pieces. That's one of the things that have always interested me in terms of, like, the idea of all the various groups of, I'm going to call them Torinoids, like the Tonka, the Yongal, the Torin. What if there was an attempt to actually bring them all together? What if there was an attempt to have, like, a core a, a, a council of these various groups you mean like the, the trolls did kind of but the, like for instance the tonka are already in the horde supposedly at least one tribe is yeah the uh the the high mountain tauren and the the shuhalo tauren are both in the horde imagine if the horde reached out to the ongol and said look um you can keep going it the way you're going it and look at how well it has not worked for you you're you're stranded in like you know in a terrible place between the Mantid and the and the Pandaren. You're never going to get good settling areas. You're basically stuck there. We can offer you a way out. We can offer you a way off of that island, and you can be part of something else. And maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But you could still do a cool thing with like the meeting, like with the alliance. It's like the last thing we need is the horde to get more even angrier fire torrent. You know, it's bad enough that they have the Torin they have. Um, we really don't want to see yet another group of giant Torin. This time, they like to set themselves on fire when they attack you. Maybe we should try and scutter this somehow, or at least know what they're doing. And meanwhile, on the Horde side, it's like, you know, 
trying to, to keep everything calm. Like, because the Tonkar are aggressive, the Yongal are aggressive, the High Mountain are kind of aggressive, you know, and the Tor, the, the Shuhalo, they, they do a good job of acting like they're not aggressive. But when they get riled and when they get sent yeah. in motion, woo! Yeah, I mean, Karen was going to kill Garrosh. He was going to kill him. Handily. Handily. Yeah. He was going to, and he, keep in mind that Karen was at the, was old, like, not just old, but old and he was gonna crush garage like garage knew it he knew i can't you know i'm i may actually have to try and kill him I, there's no way i can beat him um and that's the thing the torn are like I, there's one point where sylvanas in war crimes actually realizes oh he can crush me mm-hmm. you know bane can actually crush me right now and ev- all my plans will be for nothing if i push this which so is why, yeah, why, why she hated him, right? Like, it was not only was he incredibly powerful, probably had more martial prowess than he ever showed anybody, but, you know, he was beloved. That's a that's yeah. a huge threat. Oh, right? you can obviously see, like, there's a lot of you can have a lot of interesting potential about even the other members of the Horde are kind of nervous about this. And they also want to keep it relatively peaceful. The last thing they need is a bunch of angry Torin brawling with a bunch of angry Yongal in the streets of Orgrimmar. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of things you could do with the Torin. I, I really do feel like, and I'm, people often accuse me of being against the Horde, and I'm not. Um, it's a video game, and I'm aware of that. But I do think that the Horde really, really, really overfocuses on certain groups. I would agree. And one of those groups is the Forsaken. The other group is the Orcs. We've had enough of both. We need to focus. I'd, I'd like to see a little more troll focus. A troll get a fair amount, but I'd like to see a little more. But I'd love to see lots more Torin focus. Torin are one of the ones that have gotten almost nothing, really. Yeah. The, Let's the, be like honest. You pointed out Maradon, and Maradon isn't even really about them. No, it's, it's just... About it, the, you know, it's about the guys that used to hunt them. Yep. You know, it's it's not Torin focused. We, we got the Tonka in... In, in in wrath, and that was nice, but it's a, it's a minor thing. And, yeah, we got the young gall, we got the young gall in, in mists, and a little bit more, but again, still not a major deal. It was the first time I think we've had a Torin world boss. Uh, but other than that, oh, and by the way, I hate you, Ordos. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> had to get that out there. Might have popped otherwise. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. Such that's a fair. jerk. God, you're a dick, Ordos. Anyway, um, you don't get to join any coalition. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I'd love to see more Torrin stuff. So I'd love to see, maybe explore that whole thing. Maybe it turns out, like, one of the things that was rumored was that the Torrin might all be descended from, in much the same way that the, there's various talk of, like, the Furbolg are descended from the Bear Ancients like, created in his image to serve him or what have you. Mm-hmm. It might be that the Yongal are descended from Nizao. The 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 big, you know... I, I want to say Ox. I don't know what you'd call him. Um, but, the, you know, the, the, the August Celestial, you know, of endurance and tenacity. They might all ultimately come from him. And that would be cool. Because we know that the Mogu were stealing the power of the August Celestials. We saw that in uh, Throne of Thunder. Mm-hmm. They were stealing the power of all four of them. And it's interesting that the Saurok existed as a Mogul creation, and there's Yulong. So were the Saurok, you know, created from dinosaurs? 
or was it also were they possibly also related to you know Yulon and, and to her and so forth? There's a lot of cool things about it. I'd love to see more about that about the Torn in general. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Um, I think we have time to finish out the last one here. Uh, okay. So uh, this is from Gwent. Uh, hello, howdy, watchers. I was doing new nine point one questing and noticed something odd in some quest text. In the text for a caged bird. Danica says, Keeper Odin must be warned of this foul betrayal. How could Danica's imprisonment and death of her fellow Valkyr be a betrayal? Does the deal over Odin's eye have more implications than we thought it may have? I think part of that is simply the fact that Helia is still around. Because when you go and tell Odin, like, straight up, he's kind of surprised. He Like, it's the whole, I thought she was dead, I thought we were done with this, but I guess not. And that's, I think that's part of, like, this, the step one. Because, like, again, that whole thing with Helia, that whole mutually, like, trapped thing that was going on between the two of them, that's broken. And she was supposedly dead. She ain't dead anymore. Um, and maybe that is some implications to do with the eye because it does revolve around uh, the jailer's eye, or as we should call it, Odin's eye, which is using the, the Valkyr to sort of, like, break down that power because Odin seems to have no idea that it was being used and what it was being used for. Which, again, not too terribly surprising. Odin's kind of laser-focused on the wrong things, sort of his M.O. So, but I don't know if it goes deeper than that. I don't know if there's extra implications behind it or if there's anything else. I think that's mainly it. I also think it's it's Odin kind of knew that other Valkyr were being made. But... The what we're experiencing with the Mossworn or the 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 sort of like their version of the tainted Kyrian is not what he ex- I think what he expected or what he was told about. Don't forget that the Valkyr are sort of like Odin's version of the Kyrian. So now Helia's got her version of the Kyrian, which is a complete perversion of whatever the natural cycle or I shouldn't even say the natural cycle. I'll just call it the cycle was. So maybe it has something to do with that. I, I do think that Odin knows more than he's telling us, which is usually the case. Yep, I I would agree. Um, also, I think, though, that Odin doesn't know as much as he thinks he does. Yeah. And, I mean, you pointed out it doesn't seem like he knew that his eye was being used the way it was. I don't know if he even knows what the Kyrian are. Like, he was given the ability to make Valkyr. I don't know if he ever stopped to think about what he, how he learned that, what it meant, where it came from. And it's really interesting to think about the fact that Servants of the Jailer apparently knew how to make their own version of the Kyriot. Because mm-hmm. they could give that information to Odin. What we're seeing in Shadowlands implies a lot about the Jailer's original role. It doesn't state it, it just implies it. So I think that, you know, once I get to actually watch the cinematic and see if it makes me go, aha, or not, I definitely think it, it all connects back to the concept of the Arbiter and, the and you know, Orbos not being the original plan. I mean, looking, the looking at the Vault of Secrets, I mean, that, that pretty much gives yeah. you a good indicator of that, too. Yeah, the shattered nature of the Maw and the fact that it has pieces like Corthia floating out that can be brought back in. I definitely feel like we're going to find out that things used to be very different. And that 
this place, the order as it currently exists, is built upon the original betrayal of Zoval. And his ultimate endgame is to try and set things back the way they were before he got caught. So we'll see. We'll see what it is. We'll see what happens. But I definitely think Odin has been played here. I think that the betrayal is literally the fact that he's been lied to from for like literally thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And everything Odin did, he did focused on the, you know what was going on in his realm, and never occurred to him that it was just part of a plan for somebody else. So. Yeah, I think that that pretty much answers it. What I would say, like, there's, I don't know if there's much else to add. If there is, we'll find out once we get done with the show and can go watch the cinematic. Which is what we're going to probably do in about two minutes. Uh, so, without unless there's anything else you want to talk about, Matt? Sure. You ever notice that cats have, like, really, really good, like, springing, but they're not necessarily as good at long-distance running? Cheetahs is being accepted? Yeah, it's true. Anyway, that was just me being <laughs> weird. Um, sure, like, once you do that thing, you do. I will. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Thank you very much, Joe. Again, guys, if you've got questions for the show, and please, please have questions for the show. We love questions. Uh, you could ask some Diablo 4 questions, because I really want to talk about the most recent Diablo 4 thing. Um, you can send them to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast, Blizzard Watch, or hey, Matt, here's a Diablo question, because I love you, uh, and we'll know it's for this show. Uh, or, to, you know, you can ask Diablo questions on the other show. We'll, we'll take them there, too. That's true. Um, we will. Or you can go to our Discord, our you know, patron Q and podcast questions channel, or our Q questions channel, and you can ask questions there as well. Uh, or I guess if you're telepathic, you can beam them directly into my head, but I got to warn you, some stuff in there I'm not too keen on sharing. I really don't want you guys to know about the robots, so be careful. Uh, anyway, thanks you guys for being here. Thanks to Joe for being an amazing co-host as always. No, thank you guys. And we'll see you, I guess next week. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, thanks for being with us and we will be back next week. Unless Sylvana stops us. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.